I'm telling you, these people are Satanists. As I sit here, they are Satanists. Nothing will stop the Satanic Total Release! Bart, stop testing Satan! Welcome to the place where you are so sick of the question, why Satan? We named a podcast after it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Now, one thing I do want to get out of the way is you may hear some fan rumblings or some air conditioning fumblings in this podcast, and that is due to the fact that right now it is 100 degrees outside, and it is probably about 80 degrees in this room. It is hot, and I am not going to lower my fans or air conditioner any more than they already are. Right now I have it off. I don't think I'm going to be able to keep this up. So you might hear it in the background. A little bit. I'm going to do my best to minimize it. However, let's talk about today's show. First, on today's show, we're going to talk about the heat and how some people I know really don't seem to understand what the cause of it is. I wonder what that could be. Then we have our third chapter of Introduction to Romantic Satanism. And yes, I know probably most of you have finished it by now, but I like talking about it, and it's a pretty cool discussion. Then after that, it's actually a rare segment where I need to call out TST on something. They sent me a membership email, and I wasn't really happy about it, and I have some things to say. The last segment, we're going to talk about two things of the satanic panic. One is just some bonkers, weird thing that I found on the internet that is the satanic meaning behind the abbreviation LOL, which if anyone saw my Twitter earlier today, yeah, no, that is what we're going to talk about. The next one is a story out of England where there was the murder of two girls, and it does have some satanic imagery in it, and that is what the article has decided to focus on. And that's not really a good thing for many different reasons. But anyway, let's move on to the first segment, and let me turn my air conditioner back on, because I'm going to melt. Oh boy, as everyone knows, I've been complaining about how hot it's been in the Northeast. Now, it's nothing compared to how it's been in the Northwest, which, if you live in the Northwest, especially like Vancouver, Canada, especially where my girlfriend is... I hope you've had some sort of air conditioning because, holy shit, that area broke a heat record of, like, what was it, 120, like, one for Canada? Yeah, no, that's ridiculous. It was the point where it got so hot, there was a city, no, a small town, pardon me, that burnt down because the forest caught on fire, and it was so hot, and the trees and everything was so dry, they couldn't do anything about it quick enough, and the town was lost. So, needless to say, it's been really hot here. The Northwest saw a spike in deaths. In my own state, we've been bouncing around between 90 and 100 and maybe a little over. And the horrible humidity has sucked. Now, I'm sitting in my room, like I mentioned before, with a bunch of fans pointed at me. Because this room right now is probably about 80 degrees with my air conditioner going and a fan. So, yeah. It really sucks. And I have some people around me, many of them family, some of them friends, who for medical reasons have greater issues with heat than me. I can deal with it. I can put a 
uh, wet piece of clothing or some sort of cloth on me. And that helps a lot, especially if I wrap it around my neck. If you're dealing with heat, I highly suggest that. Get some sort of cold towel or something very light, like a light t-shirt. Wet it, drape it on your neck. Uh, you can get actually chilly that way. But a lot of them are complaining, wondering why this is happening. And they're looking for someone to blame. And they're upset. Now, many of these same people are Fox News watchers. And Fox is great at pointing at a problem. And it doesn't matter what the problem is. They like to find someone to blame for it. Because I guess it's easier if you can have an easy target to blame for a complex problem. And normally it works out really well for them, since they combine this with a target they already don't like, or a reinvented target that they can now hone in on. But you know, Fox really isn't talking about the heat so much. And they're not really targeting anyone or anything about it. So, these people, who I know are Fox News watchers, and they like to point and target and blame something... They're not sure who to blame with this. And I can see it, and it's leading to more anger, because they're used to having something to direct anger and hate towards, or fear towards, and they don't have one. It's just interesting, but it's also dangerous and twisted. But that's not really what I wanted to talk about. Yes, they're aptness to point at a target and blame it to all their problems, like a scapegoat, is very important. But this time, the lack of the target is what I find important. Well, looking at them, and they're asking for answers, like, why is it so hot? Like, what's going on? It wasn't this hot last summer. It's normally not this hot. It's normally not this humid. And for once, there's a cause. It's actually a simple one to point to. It's easy enough when you know what's going on and you know the science. And like an idiot, I pointed it out. I pointed out something that could easily explain all the issues that are happening with the weather. The odd heat, the swings into cold, which last week we had 50 degrees here. Uh, the high humidity. Climate change is the easy answer. And when I tell them this, I can see on their faces this, oh, like this expression, like they get it. And then they struggle for a moment. And they, like, stutter over word. They pause. They try to balance their need for a target with their need to reject something that's been so obvious for so long. And they've told they need to reject. I honestly haven't had someone yet admit that, yes, this is a climate change issue. They tend to come up with excuses. Or they dance around it. I've even had one person sort of say, well, maybe. Uh, that was one person who was on the fence. And, like, well... I mean, if it is, then it's probably not necessarily something that people are doing. Or, well, there's nothing we really could do about it. Or it's just how things work. But you know what? The more I think of this, I think, hey, this hot weather got someone who's on the fence to start leaning towards climate change. So we need to look on the bright side. Maybe we need to wait for it to get worse. Maybe when their sports games start getting canceled due to heat more often. Or maybe when the birds fall from the sky, or the pavement melts and their car sinks into a hole because of it. And uh, just, like, houses spontaneously catch on fire. Maybe then some of these people admit there's a problem. I mean, it's not like if things get really bad, it's going to be too late. Right? Right?
Well, I'm sure everyone who has picked up a copy of Intro to Romantic Satanism by the time I've talked about it has already blown through it. It is not a large book. However, I'm still on Chapter 3 on my reread because I'm taking a lot of notes and thinking about it a lot. So, in Chapter 3, a lot of it is about Paradise Lost. It's not my favorite of the Satanic books, but it's really interesting and important. The book cites it as a major touchstone of Romantic Satanism, and I can't disagree. We learn a little bit about John Milton here, and we even take a little look at his, some of the writing inside Paradise Lost. Now, when we actually look at what John Milton wanted to do with this book, I really don't understand it, but according to John Milton, the main reason for this poem is justify the ways of God to man. He wanted to demonstrate internal providence. Personally, when I read this book, even when I wasn't a Satanist, I'm not sure exactly how this was supposed to be an explanation of the ways of God. To me, it doesn't paint God in the best light. Myself, at least, I'm a big believer in death of the author. I believe that once an author has published a book or another work, it is no longer their work. It is opened up to the audience to interpret as they may. Though, some have pointed out to me that it is very important to understand what the author wanted to convey in order to better take a look at one's own views through the work. So yes, it's useful to understand the author and what they actually wanted, but I feel it's incorrect to look at the author's view of the work is more important than anyone else's. More so, when I look at this work, and I personally can't even pretzel myself into how Milton wanted this to come across. Like, I kind of get the idea that it's about the fall of man, but I'm not exactly sure what he's trying to convey by demonstrating the ways of God to man. The chapter continues to cite more of John Milton's work in Paradise Lost. And I actually think it sides with me a little bit in the difficulty of understanding what John Milton actually wanted to come across. As in these passages, we see Satan being given human feelings, human traits, doubts, aspirations. He's clearly put into place as a romantic hero. It could be that John Milton was trying to say that humans are like Satan, which, hey, most Satanists are going to agree with you on, John. Um, so great. I think that we kind of get. I'm not exactly sure John meant it the way um, we mean it. I think uh, John Milton probably thought it as more of a Satan's bad and he's like people, so therefore people are kind of bad. If that's what he was going for, maybe, not exactly sure. To reinforce heroic image of Satan, we see him giving stirring speeches to the rest of the fallen angels. Throughout the passage, we see many of the themes that were cited as touchstones of romantic Satanism in this work. We learn that the book itself was highly read in the 18th century, and many romantic Satanists looked upon it inspiringly. They quoted it, they cited it in their own works, they wrote poetry about it, and they just praised it overall. Amusingly enough, the religious people, who my guess were probably the aim of John Milton, didn't take kindly to this book. And as we see throughout history, it has been periodically banned and censored quite a bit. I remember when I went to school, it was one of those books that you really couldn't read. Even in the Northeast, they didn't want you reading it because reasons. As the chapter continues, though, 
we move on to Edmund Burke, who, as everyone remembers from last time, his uh, ideas of the sublime gave me a headache. Thankfully, we learned that in this passage, we're not going to be talking about his views on the sublime. We are going to mention the fact that he is one of the major authors, 70 years later, to write upon the reinterpretation of Satan in Milton's work. It is stated that he believes that the reinterpretation of Satan was positive, and it seems like he was one of the first big authors to do so. He wrote highly of the change in archetype of Satan, that it confounded the monarchy, and pushed artful discussion of the work and continued to contrast it to others. Interestingly enough, it's actually disputed among some modern-day scholars whether Edmund Burke was actually comparing Paradise Lost to the French Revolution. Uh, to me, even though they note that Edmund Burke never actually directly compares the two, if you look at Paradise Lost and you look at the French Revolution, I think I even noted it back in another chapter that it seems almost a stretch to say they're not related at all. And considering the history that we learned in just the first chapter of this book, I think there's a strong connection between the French Revolution and Paradise Lost. We then move on to another interesting figure, who I've actually never heard of, named Joseph Johnson. Now, while this person didn't directly have an impact on Romantic Satanism, he did help spur it on. And part of the reason that is, is because he wanted to recreate John Milton's work in an illustrated version. Now, because of that, he tended to have around him uh, poets, artists, authors, and political radicals who he wanted input on talking about this illustration. And he tended to host these parties where they would talk about the different ways that Satan could be reinterpreted and different ways they would, like, change or tweak uh, John Milton's work or maybe different ways they would use illustrations to bring out certain points. But one of these authors that I think should be given more credit in the Zatanic community is William Godwin. Now, William Godwin wrote one of his most influential works called An Inquiry into Political Justice. Now, this work deeply explored the character of John Milton Satan, speaking of how this character was a demonstration that one could have resistance towards those who have power over you, even when you've suffered a great loss. And you can and must hold on to the spirit of opposition, and that you shouldn't be discouraged and use the sense of reason and justice to continue down one's path. That revenge not need be self-destructive as an emotion when used towards a noble goal, and can in fact be used to fuel oneself towards your goal. In fact, Godwin was so influential that Peter Slock believed that it was Godwin in this work that pushed the idealization of Satan and push the idea of Satan as a mythical figure, turning it into an icon of insurrection. Shelley was in fact so impressed with Godwin's work that it led Shelley to go out of their way to travel with Godwin at least once to discuss Godwin's thoughts. As I said, I think Godwin is highly undervalued by Satanists. From my own looking into Godwin, I would honestly say he might possibly be the person who had the most impact on Romantic Satanism, maybe even beyond John Milton. And then, of course, the chapter moves on to one of the more colorful figures, Voltaire. Voltaire 
was best known as someone who liked to deconstruct Christian mythology. And if you know anything at all about Voltaire, you know he wasn't shy from getting into controversial subjects. And so, obviously, he enjoyed talking about Satan quite a bit. Voltaire was a deist, which at that time was the closest one could be to being an atheist without getting in too much trouble. He's known for attacking religious and political establishments, pushing freedom of speech, religious tolerance, and separation of church and state. I honestly think if anyone in this literary movement of romantic Satanism would be a Satanist today, it would be Voltaire. Just because this man did not give two fucks. And we see it due to the fact that many of his more important works got banned, and he didn't care because he felt an integrity towards these works and wanted them published but they were nevertheless banned because of the context. Now, his philosophy dictionary was a series of radical essays in which he was extremely critical of religion. In many of these essays, he liked to point out that Christianity and Jewish myth was taken from elsewhere, even pointing out the fact that the fall of the angels wasn't in the Old Testament at all. And even when Isaiah speaks of the falling of the morning star, is in fact speaking of the Babylonian king who turned apostate, which I think in past episodes I had mentioned before, and I didn't know where it came from. I had forgotten when I read this book. It must be from this book where I got that information. And he also deconstructs the Garden of Eden, which, while we've deconstructed that a lot on this show, and Satanists overall love to tear into that story, questioning why God would keep knowledge from humans in the first place, and why did God lie about the consequences of eating the apple? And as Satanists love to note, the serpent, in fact, in many cultures, is viewed as the most wise animal. And honestly, this book was extremely popular, but Voltaire knew it was going to get banned and could possibly get him in a deep pile of shit, so he published it anonymously. But nevertheless, it was highly censored. And then we move on to Thomas Paine. Ah, Thomas Paine, a favorite among Christian libertarians. They love to cite this man due to his writing of common sense. They love to cite that he fought in the revolution and advocated for it and then went on to France to try to do the same. But many of them don't like talking about his other book, An Age of Reason. It was also subtitled An Investigation of True and Fabulous Theology, which sort of tells you a little something already. In this book, he pushed deism, which of course, as we noted before, is the closest you could get to atheism in this time period without getting in serious trouble. Now, he believed that this was the only belief, deism, that could possibly have reason attached to it. He went on to attack Christianity and questions the legitimacy of the Bible completely. He deconstructs the Satan mythology, he amusingly points out that Christians have given Satan full control of the earth and points out that the Bible would be derogatory to any such god because it makes them seem unwise and foolish. In fact, the book sparks so much outrage in England that the publisher of it, Danielle Isaac Eaton, was tried and convicted of blasphemous libel in 1812 from just publishing it. The end of the chapter actually points out that this blasphemy law was previously talked about in the historical segment, and they do note that sadly, it's not the last time we're going to hear about this law plaguing those in the Romantic Satanist movement. So that's all we have for this chapter. Now, I've already started looking into four 
And again, it's interesting. I'm going to have a lot of notes on it. And I'll either get it out next episode or the episode after that, since I want to have less of a gap between segments. Since, like I said, most of you have probably done reading it by now. But those of you who have read it, let me know what you think. I actually really like this book. It's nice, short, and sweet, and concise, and it's not too dense. I'm really liking it now that I've reread it, and I honestly think taking notes for something this thin is great, because it lets me sit with it a lot more and let me absorb a lot more. So maybe I'll start reading more books like that. I'm not going to read The Children of Lucifer like that, or I will never get done with it until I die, considering how thick that book is. I could use it to kill someone with. And there seems to be no sign of intelligent life anywhere. Okay, as everyone knows, I, for the most part, lean towards supporting the Satanic Temple. I have some issues that I have with them. Most are mostly minor. Some, their lawsuits, I think, aren't really stuff they should put their uh, weight into. Not necessarily weight, but their energy into or their money. And then from another perspective, I wonder, well, if they bring this to court with our current court system, it's only going to end badly, and then we're going to have a really shitty precedent. And then there's some days, very rare, where I get something from them or I see something from them that makes me go, why? Just, just why? And this week was one of those weeks. Okay, TST, we need to talk. As I said, I like you. But sometimes you do things that piss me off. I'm not someone who cares about the internal drama, for the most part. I'm not involved in it. I don't know what's going on. I don't feel I can have a huge opinion. Drama happens everywhere. And when I don't know enough, I tend to say I don't know enough. And the amount of drama I've dealt with in a public school system, uh, I can't deal with it. But when you send me an email that when I look over it, it just makes me angry. I need to talk about it. And I'm just going to flat out read the email here. The email starts as titled, Victory for Religious Reproductive Rights. And they have a little header. The Satanic Temple and Fulton versus the city of Philadelphia. First off, TST, you had nothing to do with this decision. You were not involved in this court case whatsoever. I don't know why you're talking about it. But maybe you have a reason. So let's continue. Philadelphia prohibits discrimination based on sexual orientation and foster care and cancel their contract with Catholic Social Services, a private adoption agency because they refuse to consider allowing same-sex couples to adopt children. The Supreme Court ruled that Philadelphia could not deny a contract with CSS despite their violation of the city's non-discrimination clause due to free exercise of religion, where the city permits exemptions from its policy for any other reason. Now, at first I go, yeah, that's a huge loss. It's horrible. It's basically saying that religions can discriminate. And if you're in a contract or a religious organization and they start discriminating, you can't get out of it. And it's a problem. And I know actually some people, not necessarily in Philadelphia, but I do know some people who this bothered a lot. I have friends who have been wanting to adopt. And 
it can be a little hard because a lot of adoption agencies are religious. Let's be honest. And they're gay. So they've had to go around and it's been difficult. So this is not a good thing. So I'm confused what they mean by victory for religious rights. But the email doesn't end there. It continues. This is a huge victory for the Satanic Temple's efforts to protect the reproductive rights of its members. States that afford exemptions to its abortion laws for rape, incest, health, and life must also allow TST's religious exemptions under this new rule ruling, or they are in violation of the free exercise clause of the First Amendment. Whether the judges will abide by that law and their sworn oath of office remains to be unseen. Now, when I first read this, I... Okay. First off, uh, in the nicest way I can, what the fuck? Okay. I could somewhat understand this if you had something to do with the case. Maybe. But you didn't. I could understand if you changed your statement to have at least something like, while this opinion may be problematic and harms people of the LGBTQ community, there is a silver lining. You could have added that. No problem. If for whatever reason you felt like talking about this fucking case in the first place, which again, I don't know why you're talking about about it. I, I can see citing it in a legal brief. You know, that makes sense. If you're going to court, you cite this in a legal brief. You don't need to send it in an email to your membership roles. That's not what this is for. This is something you cite in a legal fucking brief. What the fuck? Like, I'm not a lawyer, but I listen to, like, enough lawyers who know what they're talking about. Uh, as I've rambled on, like, praising the podcast opening arguments, which is amazing. From everything I learned on there, this is what a legal brief is for. But, no, they put it in their members' mailing list. If the idea is to point out some idea of hypocrisy, your mailing list isn't the place to do it. Because the people who you're pointing out the hypocrisy to aren't in your mailing list. Again, the place to do it is in a legal brief. And I noted that for many people, including most of your members, this legal case reinforces, which, you know, in this country right now, we don't need to reinforce this, but it does reinforce the idea that the LGBTQ community can be discriminated as long as there's a religious excuse. And we don't fucking need that. We have enough of it. So, for that reason alone, this shouldn't be celebrated or sent on a mailing list. TST, you need to focus on something else. But before I move on to that, like, that was all the stuff I planned on saying. Like, that's all the stuff I planned on saying. But then I read the email when doing this podcast during this recording. And I noticed something, something dangerous in this comment that makes me even angrier. Part of what they're hinging this on, because part of what the case notes is that if you have exemptions to rules for one reason, you need to have them for religious reasons. For example, if you have in the city, I, I don't know if this is the case, but this is... From looking it up, this is um, a quote-unquote something that could be discriminatory that is legitimate. If there was a child that has been sexually abused by men and they have trouble being around men, you might not want to, you know, adopt them out to a single father. Or maybe 
you know, I can understand maybe a home with two men isn't the best place for them. Not because the men are gay, but because they're men. I can understand that. I can understand a child's abused and they have emotional, psychological problems. They should not be put in an environment that's going to make that worse. So I understand like why maybe some of these exemptions are there for this rule that you can't discriminate. So what this ruling says is because there are other reasons to quote-unquote discriminate on who you're being adopted to, on who someone's being adopted to, that a religion can butt their way in and force themselves to be exempted. Now, TST, TST then latches on to that, well, a lot of abortion laws have exemptions for rape, incest, health, and life. TST, you fucked up here. And I'll tell you why. You really expect people who are pushing these anti-abortion laws to give a shit about morality, for the most part? You think that if you get a court ruling that says because they have exemptions for rape, incest, health, that they're going to let that go and allow the satanic temple to have abortions? No, no. If you hinge your case on those exemptions, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. They're going to remove those exemptions. That's what's going to happen. I'm, I don't know this for a fact, but I basically know this for a fact. That the people who really want abortion outlawed, they don't give a shit what happens to the mother. They don't give a fuck what happens to who's ever carrying that child. They don't care if they were raped. They don't care if it's a product of incest. They don't care if the mother's going to die. They have this ideological idea that abortion is wrong no matter what. The only reason why they put those things in there is because it's popular. You're giving them an out that they can cite. And I'm going to tell you what I mean by it. Okay. You know the way when there is prayer somewhere and they say, well, TST came in. And they wanted to prayer. The court said we had to let them, so we're not going to have prayer anymore. Now what these people are going to do is say, well, we wanted to have these exemptions. But the Satanists came in, and they ruined it for everybody. So we're going to have to remove these exemptions. You know that's what's going to happen. If you don't, you're an idiot. This should not be what your legal case is leaning on. It really shouldn't be. And, like, I support your idea that like to try to use their religious angle for abortion but don't lean it on these exemptions please because there are states that don't have these exemptions we don't need other states to go well the court ruled that you know the satanists are right and if we have one exemption we have to have a bunch of exemptions they're just going to remove all exemptions that's what's going to happen and honestly it doesn't matter the court could rule against you anyway and they don't even need to necessarily like, violate their own ideas. Like, There's plenty of ways around it, to be honest. There's plenty of legal shenanigans they could do. There's two things that I thought of immediately, to the point where I messaged the person from Opening Arguments and asked them, hey, there was opinion in Bush v. Gore that the Supreme Court ruled on, and then they basically said, yeah, no, we're ruling this way, but don't take it as precedent. Because this is a special case. So what they did is they had 
a pure curium opinion, which basically the whole court signs it. It's a very short decision, and they say, well, there's no precedent or anything to cite here. It's just that it's an obvious decision, and they don't leave anything really in the open to cite. And then there's another trick that they can do. It's called dicta. What that means, it's where the judge gives an opinion on a case, but it's not their legal opinion. It's weird, and it makes no sense to, like, rational people, but they can do it. They can do dicta, what it's called, uh, D-I-C-T-A. And basically, they give their opinion, but it's not binding legal precedent. And they can add that to the case, to the um, the resolution. It, it's not part of the res- resolution or determination, but they can add it to the case. So what they can do is they can just do a curium opinion, which basically leaves very little to glom on to legally for precedent for precedent. And so it won't ruin the other precedent they've already established. And then they can just dicta something explaining their reasons why they can do it. They can do a dicta and note that well, we don't think that the satanic temple is necessarily a religion, blah 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 blah. And the thing is, that can't be a problem because it's dicta. It's an opinion. So what that basically means, from my understanding, now again, I'm not a lawyer. I'm very layman when it comes to this, but from my understanding, what that means is it it, it doesn't count, basically. So yeah, no, it, that that could fuck everything up. So, so this is just not a good idea. And even beyond that, even beyond that, TST, you need to focus on community. And I don't mean movie nights. I don't. I really don't. I don't mean movie nights. Let let's look at your court losses. Well, let's look at them. Most of them come down to TST doesn't have ties to the community or they're not a strong enough ties to the community. That's kind of what's hitting them up in Boston a bit. That's kind of been what hit them up in a few places. So you need to focus on community. It would help. More charitable efforts among other forms of community building would be great. It'd be great to demonstrate community. What I'm saying is legal cases aren't always the best way of doing things. And they aren't always the best way of doing legal cases. And when we have a Supreme Court like we do, you know, you can't lean on the fact that they said one thing and now they're going to say another thing. They're doing that constantly. And it's not to say that legal cases shouldn't happen or failures can't be presented as victories when they potentially could be. But remember your audience. Think about, like, most people in TST aren't going to think of this as a victory. And your enemies, the people who don't like you, I've seen them run with this. And I can't tell them that they're wrong in any such way. And remember, you don't need to inject yourself into things you weren't involved in. TST, listen, you got to do better. Like, I like you. And I want to keep liking you. I really do. You do pretty cool stuff. Just think before you send another one of these out, please. Just do that for me. Now, there's two things I want to talk about having to do with Satanic Panic. One is really funny. The other one is not so funny. I'm going to do the funny one first in case someone wants to, like, jump out when I'm talking about the second one. If they get into it and they decide it's not really something they want to really hear about it. So cool. So I'm going to do the funny one first. 
Sometimes when I'm looking for things to talk about on the show, I run into weird things because, you know, Satanism can lead to weird roads. I found something on a fact check site that I didn't know what to do with, and it was really the dumbest thing ever, but it led me down a weird road. Now, I saw them debunking the idea that LOL, you know, laugh out loud, actually means Satan our Lord. I found it funny, amusing, and thought, hey, I need to mention this in the podcast. It's something weird and amusing. But you know what? I was actually really curious on where the hell this came from. So I did some web searches, looked through some uh, old message boards, word searched. I even dug into some QAnon telegrams, which I'm a member of. I don't suggest it, but I like to hurt myself mentally. So I read QAnon telegrams. What are you going to do? But... I found out that this actually started around, as far as I can tell, in 2012-ish. One of the fact-checking sites, though, talked about it yesterday, which made me even more curious, so I decided to do even more digging. From what little I've pieced together, and from what I've been able to find and track down from what is public, it started in a Christian Community Facebook page. Now, it could have started elsewhere, it probably definitely did start elsewhere, but that's the most public place I could find it further down the date line, at least the amount of time I wanted to put into it. Because I'll be honest, I put way more energy into this than I probably should have. Honestly, because it's in meme form, and yes, the original that I found was in kind of a meme form, it's hard to tell if this started as a joke, and maybe some of the early shares were just jokes, and that it's possible that someone's grandmother saw it and took it seriously because that happens we all know a grandmother or something that sees something and takes it completely serious and blows the whole thing out of proportion but the meme is the meme's great it it is very much like an old school like meme it is the whole red text at the top beware and it has these storm cloud backgrounds and then it has alternating colored text between this easily to read white that in some places blends into the clouds and then this other like beige that parts are like kind of blurry and it's hard to tell but at the top in red letters it says beware stop using the abbreviation lol lol stands for lucifer our lord satanists end their prayers by saying lucifer our lord in short lol Every time you type LOL, you're endorsing Satan. Do not use LOL ever again. Keep Satan out of your life. Share this advice to Christians. Now, like I said, I honestly think that this has to be a meme. This has to be a joke. But it's hard to tell. You know, pose law. But I still have no idea why this came around now. Like, why is why are sites talking about this now? As far as I can tell, this started in 2012. Why is it being talked about now? So I did some more digging. And funny enough, I found some QAnon people who are anti-internet and anti-technology, who, funny enough, are using the internet to talk about how they hate the internet because reasons have been throwing this meme around again. And it's really hard to tell because of how QAnon is, if it's a joke that they're trolling with, or it's not. Granted, because, like, QAnon, a lot of them do tend to be, in some way, like, because of the whole demon angle and Satanist angle, like, 
Christian and fundamentalist Christian, at least some of them. So I'm not exactly sure if they would be memeing something about this in a trolling way or if they actually seriously think about this being a true thing. There's a lot of weird stuff on the Telegram boards that QAnon has moved to. So I don't exactly know what they really think and what they don't. And my first belief was, well, this has to be a joke. But the amount of things that people try to shoehorn Satan into, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, it's true. It's amusing. Like, the story is funny. Like, when I first saw it, I, I thought this is, this is very funny. But in some ways, it's kind of scary, partly because what I saw on the original boards was people getting very angry about this and very upset. Some of them even being worried that their children were using LOL. And some of them full-on demanding that they band together and use some sort of spiritual warfare to turn LOL into meaning Lord of Lords to deny Satan power over the earth or something so yeah in in ways this is amusing as hell and it's sure as hell funny but then i think about the fact that it's this easy to get a satanic panic started and when we look at our next story that is kind of satanic panicky it gets a lot less funny but still it's really funny so let's have an lol about it but as I said before, I do have another story that does have to do with satanic panic, and it's not funny. It's actually quite serious. It takes place in Wimbledon Park in England, where two sisters were murdered. This, of course, is horrible and should be the main point of the story. Their murders were horrible first and foremost. That's the important thing here. The second part of this story, though, is the satanic panic aspect. And I will note that it is secondary because I do not want to take away at all from the tragedy of the story. So that being said, right under the headline, in bold, the article notes, A man who stabbed two sisters at random in a supposed demon pack, a sacrifice he seemed to believe would allow him to win the lottery, has been found guilty of their murder. Now, the murderer did sign a pact in blood, and supposedly... The pack said that every six months he would give a sacrifice of six women in exchange for winning the lottery. Yes, that part is part of the story. And it's normal that they would report on it. However, he's also been reported before by his school for far-right extremist leanings. It was one of the only parts of the article, that little sentence, that noted that fact. Nothing else cited any of his far-right views, so we have no idea what they might be linked to in this like we don't know because they didn't talk about it in all likelihood this person needed help and had a mental illness of some sort that's what tends to be the core of these issues is someone has some sort of undiagnosed problem and because it's not diagnosed and they're not getting help and they're not getting the treatment they need bad things can happen and that leads to a more nuanced discussion, because we don't want to say also that anyone with a mental illness will have these same issues, because that's clearly not the case. There are many different aspects of this. It is not a simple case. However, news don't like that. News like, however, 
The news likes very simple discussions, so of course they're not going to get into the nuance of this. And so we get this article that seems very reminiscent of some of the things that we saw out of the 80s and 90s, where the narrative cites that he was into satanic mythology and occultism. Honestly, in my view, if a person did the same thing in the name of God or anything similar to that, I honestly don't think it would make the news. And I'm not sure it should make the news. Unlike someone who, say, does something because they're a Christian extremist who does something for a politically motivated reason, this crime's motive is less important than the fact that someone killed two people for reasons that had nothing to do with those two people. The motive isn't useful here. We can't call Satan to the stand as a witness of fact. Not only do I think this is a case of news taking something and turning it into a satanic panic that could potentially be problematic and cause people to worry about other issues around the city and wonder if there's some sort of cabal in the city. Like We've seen things like this get out of control, but it also minimizes the tragedy that actually happened because there's two women who were killed, and now we're looking at the satanic aspect of it. The news is looking at the spectacle of it, and no one's actually looking at, well, what could have stopped this? What could we have done to make this, you know, not happen? And yes, the satanic panic ruins lives by randomly saying that someone's a Satanist or attributing crimes to Satanism and then trying to expand it outward, which ends up getting other people caught into this web that makes a whole mess. But there's unseen harms to it, too. The actual victims and the actual causes go completely forgotten, and we don't learn from the issue, and we don't learn how to do things better. And we end up with stupid police handbooks about the occult and Satan and how to deal with it, and we don't actually solve anything. Okay, I want to thank everyone who has listened to today's podcast, and... Thank you very much for lasting through this entire thing. I honestly didn't think I'd make it through, since looking at my temperature right now in my room, it's 85, because I have the fans lowered, because I want cleaner audio than I did last week. But I'm going to call the show here, because I'm going to melt. So on that note, until next time, this has been Why Satan, and Hail Satan. Okay, so during the introduction, I turned my air conditioner off for about five minutes, and holy shit, the temperature jumped up like five, no, like 10 degrees in that intervening time. I thought I was going to just keel over. Uh, I love you guys, but I'm never turning that air conditioner off when it's this hot in here for audio quality ever again. You guys can wait for winter for perfect audio quality, because holy shit. <laughs>